Um, if you have your notes, there's just uh, this week and I think next week, and we're going to wrap this up and, and we're going to go another direction on Wednesday nights, but we spent a good while talking about why smart people make dumb decisions. And I'm not going to review all of that. You can go to iTunes and you can catch up on all sorts of hopefully good insight that will help you make better decisions for the future. And again, we just want to underscore that we don't believe that there really are dumb people. I, I believe that there are smart people. But yet I've watched exceedingly smart people at times make some incredibly dumb decisions. Me being one. I mean, I've made some incredibly dumb decisions. I don't know that I'm all that bright, but I, I will say this. I, I just didn't bounce off the turnip truck and I, I, I feel like I have a handle on some things. And yet I've made dumb decisions. So uh, I think everybody could remember back to something they wish they'd change. And so we've just been talking about that and how we can make better decisions because the quality of your decisions will translate into the quality of your life. And that we want you to have an abundant life. That's what the Lord promises. So tonight we're going to talk about distinguishing between our senses. And you know, our senses are our eyes, smell, ears, yeah, taste, touch, you know, all those things are our senses, which empower uh, at times our decision making. And we're going to try to help begin to uh, distinguish between when your senses are dominating your decision-making process, which happens in the soul area. And, and when the inner man or that part that God lives in and uh, he wants to speak to you through, you know, God isn't speaking to us from up there somewhere. You all know that. I, I often have to remind people that. I know we lift our hands to the Lord and, and, and we do these things in order to honor him. And, and so I know this can uh, at sometimes be, uh, you know, a little bit conflicted. But, you know, really, if, if you're a Christian, the Lord lives right here. I mean, if you want to know where he lives, he lives right here. And uh, he lives in the inner man. He lives in the spirit portion of who you are. And if you're listening for his voice, his voice isn't coming from somewhere out there. His voice rises up from in here. I, I, I've mentioned before that the Hebrew word for prophet is the word, one of the words is nabi, N-A-B-I. And it actually means to spring forth or to bubble up. I thought, what a great... A picture because truly that's where his voice comes from it bubbles up so a lot of times it's just helpful to be reminded that when you're trying to hear the voice of God or get his direction it's not dropping on you from out there somewhere but it's rising up within you and uh, sometimes we've just got so much going on inside of us <laughs> that it's difficult for his voice uh, to come through you remember what was who was it Elijah or Elisha my mind is cramping right now remember when God didn't come in the thunder and he didn't come in the lightning but it was what? The still, small voice. Where'd that come from? Yeah, right, right in there. So uh, that's where we're needing to get direction from. So let's talk about that tonight. If you have your Bibles, go to the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis. I'm going to read some passages out of here. Uh, we truly are going to do some Bible study tonight. Uh, Genesis, you've heard me mention on occasion, is the book of God. I call it the book of beginnings or the book of God's original intent. I'm going to say this again. If you want to understand uh, the scripture, don't just take isolated passages and just try to hear God's voice, but understand what he was doing with that book. Understand what he was doing with, with maybe eight, ten passages around the verse you're looking at. Try to get some context to the thing, and you'd be amazed at what God will begin to say. But the book of Genesis, again, this is, this is my opinion, and it's kind of my hermeneutical principle, and that is I believe it's the book of beginnings. I believe it's at the front because it was God's original design. We see in the book of Genesis, 
God's ways, his precepts. Uh, We see stories that are being told and they're illustrating their illustrations, these people's lives to us about how God works his way uh, into our life. And, And the book of Genesis literally becomes a blueprint. And those of you that have done any construction know that a blueprint is important if you're going to build, let's say, a house correctly. If you just start building a house and you just start slopping things together, even the best construction person and and there are some highly talented construction people. But if they don't have a blueprint and they just start they just start wailing away, they may do better than some of us, but it still may not be right because you just can't, you know, put everything you may need to know or do or remember into a finite mind. And so God gave us the book of Genesis in order to have a blueprint that we could begin to build a life upon and. In the first few chapters, of course, we find creation. Uh, we find the spirit brooding over creation, over the chaos. And again, I love that because anytime there's chaos in the earth, the Holy Spirit's hovering somewhere. And he wants to come in and bring order in the midst of chaos. So if you're seeing chaos around you in your personal life, or you're seeing chaos all over America as people are protesting and they go to Washington and they're going to state capitals and uh, we watch Egypt and now it's in Libya. And, uh, I, you know, as far as I'm concerned, Gaddafi's a, a murderer. They can, they can run him out or hang him up. It's, it would be appropriate justice uh, for Muammar Gaddafi. But it's Jordan and other places. You, you're seeing Greece. Remember the upheaval in Greece that took place. The earth groaning. There's anarchy. But here's the good news. You can either get worried about the anarchy or you can remember that God hovers over the chaos. You understand? That's his way. See, if we get back to his ways, it would it could bring some encouragement to us. So if you're living chaos right now, hallelujah, the Holy Ghost is somewhere hovering there. It's just bringing him into that chaos so he can bring order into it. So the book of Genesis, a blueprint. Now, here in the garden, when Adam and Eve are created and they're loose to start their lives, we find we find an environment, we find a pristine environment, an innocent environment. It's an environment that you and I will never enjoy again until you know Jesus comes for us or we die. Um, it was, it was a, a thoroughly innocent environment. Sin had not yet uh, entered in with regards to dominion. Of course, we could, we could uh, have an interesting discussion that you know Satan had fallen and perhaps that's where sin uh, began. And so was sin in the universe probably... As Satan was moving about, we could probably make a case that sin existed. But in this environment, as of this point, uh, the curse had not been established. And so here we find Adam and Eve, and they're going about their business. And I, and I want to begin to paint for you, even though the environment is a little bit different than what you and I now face, you're going to see a lot of things here that are going to begin to make sense if you remember all that we've shared through these weeks with regards to how God works uh, within our within this mortal body and within the body, soul, and the spirit. Now, now li- listen to what normal is in the beginning. I'm going to give you normal. All right. You never look at abnormal and try to figure out normal. You got to find normal. So let's find normal. In Genesis 2.25, as remarkable as this is, the scripture says that when Adam and Eve were created, uh, they were both naked. They were not clothed, uh, the man and his wife. And the word says, and were not ashamed. Now, this is an important verse. Because there was no inhibition, there was no awkwardness, there was no weirdness, there was nothing of the kind that would exist today 
uh, perhaps even if that would happen between a married couple. There might be awkwardness or weirdness even within that relationship, even though it would be an appropriate covenantal relationship before the Lord. And the reason I, I simply underscore this is that, is, is that they weren't governed by their senses. Are you following me? You know, we're so governed by our senses, you know, we, 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 we can't hardly go through the grocery store line and look at the magazine rat guys that's sitting there without seeing things that are trying to solicit our senses. Because that's how governed and motivated we are by that. And, and, and you ladies, there are issues with you too that our senses cause us uh, to be led down a certain path. But they weren't governed by these senses. They were in this wonderful, pristine environment living life as it was supposed to be because their inner man, their spirit, when God breathed into them, the scripture says that he breathed, the Hebrew word was ruach, which is where the Hebrew, or excuse me, the Greek word pneuma comes from, which is how we translate spirit. It, literally, God blew spirit, and the Bible says they became a living soul. So, so your soul was designed to yield to the spirit. Are, are you following me? So here's Adam and Eve. They're being governed by the spirit. God's breathed this into them. The decisions they make, the way they look at life, everything is being governed by the spirit. It was not carnal. It was not fleshly. None of this had taken place yet. Now, it's interesting that the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 16, and again, if you just keep your fingers nimble, and, and I'm going to try to get there quickly. 2 Corinthians 5, 16, uh, the Bible tells us, it says, therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now uh, we know him thus no longer. So he says we're no, to not know one another by the flesh. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, it, you know, you heard the old saying, you can't judge a book by its cover. I've been snagged by that one more times than I can count. I can tell you the other day, I, I, met, a, I met a guy the other day, he happened to be a pastor, and, and I looked at him and I summed him up way too fast. And uh, I, I, was, I was amazed at the remarkable things that were in him, the remarkable things that God was doing, the remarkable gifts and fruits. And it just reminded me one more time, you cannot know someone by the flesh. You got you to gotta try. And it, sometimes that takes time. Hear me now. We aren't instant in these things. Sometimes it takes developing relationship. But even the New Testament says that's how we're to know one another. Now, truth be told, we're not freed from our senses to such a degree that we ever get back to garden existence. That ain't going to happen again until we go to heaven. In fact, that's scripture tells us that's where the tree of life now is uh, in heaven. But we're exhorted as we're in this body to still know one another by the spirit. In Genesis 2 verses 16 as well as uh, Genesis 3.1, it's interesting what we find here. We find, verse 16, it says, uh, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, he's speaking to the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Now that's God speaking to him. And then here in Genesis 3.1, we find the serpent being more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Now, this is what just struck me one day, how Adam and Eve had sort of a ease of communicating with spiritual beings. Anybody here ever felt like your prayers weren't getting out of the room? And God hadn't talked to me and I don't know how long. And it's just hard. All of us have felt that. 
But yet here we find these two being able to communicate. I mean, they're communicating with God. They're communicating with this serpent that's talking to him. You would have thought, at least in the Bible, it would have said, and she was surprised the serpent spoke. I would have been. Some, if it's a snake, some snake coming up to you, start talking to you. I would have said, that's remarkable. But we don't find any of this in there. Why is that? It's because what would be remarkable now to us was normal. That's normal to them. See, I'm defining normal. All right, same with the Lord. They just walk along with the Lord and say, hey, Lord, how's it going today? Lord goes, going great. Every day is great with me. You know, and then they go, how's it going with you? It's going great, you know. Got everything we could need. I mean, they're just having these conversations. I mean, wouldn't you like a conversation like that? You see, man, I would like a conversation like that. It's hard for us. It was normal for them. Normal, all right? Now, it's interesting that in the beginning, mankind's knowledge of right and wrong prior to the fall. Now, this is all prior to them, you know, partaking of that tree. Prior to that, how did they know what was right and how did they know what was wrong? See, see, for us today, we know certain things are wrong uh, because we've been taught that or for various reasons or intuitively or through our conscience. But think about it. How did they know what was right and what was wrong? The only way they knew right and wrong was that God told them. That's all they knew. They didn't need the Ten Commandments. They didn't need a lot of rules. They didn't need, you know, the Old Testament with all these codifications of all these different things of how you handle this meat. Don't eat, don't eat shrimp. Can you imagine if we were still under the dietary laws? Have mercy. No shrimp. I don't know what I'd do. I couldn't go to Krabby Mike's and just eat till I dropped. So I'd be, I'd, I'd, I'd be alienated from God right there. But how did they know what was right and what was wrong? None of these things existed. They knew because God spoke to them. They, that was the type of relationship. It really helps me understand really what God wants to do now. You know, it was never God's intent to saddle you with thousands of rules. The only reason he gave you rules is because he knew that if you broke them out of your carnality, you would crash your life. You understand every rule is not because he just arbitrarily determined one day. Oh, I just decided let's make them do this. Ah, that's a good rule. Let's just watch them. That wasn't what God did. All of this was based not just appeasing this God who was arbitrarily making things up along the way, but he knew that if you broke these laws or the rules or all these codifications, you would crash your life. And so that's why he had, and that's why he did initially design that. But here was the deal, and it's what he's always wanted. He never wanted to give you stone that had carvings of Ten Commandments. He wanted to get in your heart and live there and write his ways on your heart. To where now it's no longer this burden, but it's, it's who I am because they're written on my heart. It's just, it's just what I want. See, so that was normal for them, all right? God's speaking to their spirit. Now, after the fall, what happens? And I'll read this in just a moment. The Bible uses a very interesting phrase. Because as soon as they partake, as soon as they enter into rebellion, this is what the scripture says. Their eyes were opened. Now, I'll give you a trans... It's not a real translation. It's pastor's translation. Their senses had dominion. Follow me? As soon as they went into rebellion, it empowered those senses. And and, and I'll get to it in just a minute. But instantly, what happens? You don't have no clothes on. 
Well, you don't have no clothes on. Ah! That's weird. What was normal is now weird. Are you following me? Why? It's because, it's because they're no longer governed by their spirit, but now they're being governed by their senses. And the last thing I just want to say here, which I just is kind of an interesting side thought. In chapter 2, verse 19, the scripture says that out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air, and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. I was in this discussion the other day on a blog thread with this guy who was, he was an atheist and uh, he actually likes me. And it's really kind of a weird thing that has happened. But he, he, has, he, he doesn't believe in God, wants no knowledge of God, and he keeps throwing out all of these things. And, and, and sometimes it's interesting to talk and banter. But the problem is, is that if you're governed like he is, being an unbeliever by his senses, everything has to be seen to be proven to be validated, right? I mean, how? So his question is, how could thousands of different forms of animals, insects, reptiles, mammals, fish, come by Adam and he names them all like, right? All right. If you're in your natural mind, I, I concur. But, but the issue here was, is not so much that, that, uh, that is impossible, or how do you answer the impossible? Because truth of the matter is, you see, they were walking out of the Spirit. God was speaking to them. As limitless as God is. Do you understand when He created Adam and Eve, and because they had this unencumbered relationship, they were just as limitless as He was. They weren't going to die either. They were designed to live for as long as God lived. And God ain't dying. So are you following me? Their understanding, their insight, the revelation, everything. 3,000, give them 6,000. Give them 10,000. Let a million animals come by him and he'll name them all. I don't know why he called certain things what he did. He could, but, he, but you understand, that was normal. I'm defining normal. Now, can we all understand now when, when pastor looks at you and says, there's a little dysfunction in us all. There's probably a lot more than a little dysfunction in us all. If this is normal. Now, here's the good news. The good news is even in this incredible environment, they make a bad decision. A lot of people think that if I just change my environment, I quit making bad decisions. Well, we could put you in the garden. And they still made a bad decision. The first bad decision in the scripture is here in Genesis chapter 3. There are 13 verses. I'm not going to read all these verses. Most of you ostensibly know the story of the fall. I'm going I'm to pull out a verse or two as we go through this. But look at what happens in Genesis 3. The woman, and she just happens to be the woman at that time. Now, now listen to me. A Adam wasn't down the block somewhere. You know, Adam, Adam wasn't somewhere, you know, doing his hobby. And he just, he just, that darn woman, she's out of my sight and she gets in trouble. And that's not how it works. In fact, if you'll read this carefully, my, my opinion is he was standing right there with her. 
Didn't say a word. But we'll just let that one go. So, here she is. And it says that the, that the serpent begins to enter into this discussion. And, and, says, uh, and he said to the woman, Has God indeed that you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, Now that's a lie, isn't it? Because God didn't say they couldn't. Uh, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. He didn't restrict every tree, did he? In fact, he said you could have all the trees except one. How many of you know that's a good deal? It's amazing how God gives us good deals and we still don't think we're getting everything we... Oh, well, we'll let that one go too. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. So she gets that right. But of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it. And then she takes it a step further. You nor shall you touch it. She says, lest you die. Now, this is really interesting because years. Years after I got out of graduate school and all the other things, I was reading through some commentary, some old Jewish commentaries on this. And 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 one of the commentaries now, it's not in the scripture and understand you know, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you something that I'm speculating at, but it was in a Jewish commentary on these particular passages that when the serpent looked and said, you shall not surely die, that according to the commentary, as historically it has been transmitted, that, that the serpent literally grabbed her and pulled her into the tree. And it was almost like it was, see, you shall not die. Isn't that interesting? Now, again, that's not what the scripture says. I understand that. And I can make the point I'm fixing to make without that particular story. But I just thought it was kind of interesting how that was. Because what he does is, is he begins to seduce her back into her senses. He, he puts a lie out there and, and he wants her to begin to work out of her natural senses what God is beginning to do or wanted her to do in her life. And so he appeals to reason, which is the natural man. He, he, he pulls her into the tree and, and all of a sudden he says, he says, you're not going to die. See, and she feels it. She hears it and she experiences it. Now, all of these things aren't coming from her inner man, right? All of these things are coming externally and they're in, beginning to empower her senses. And so he begins to say, for God knows in that day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So what happens here? In verse 6, so when the woman, what? Come on, say that. Saw. Yeah, man. She, she, it's one of her senses. She saw that the tree was good for food. And it was pleasant to the eyes. And a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit. Now she's holding it again. She's not dying. And ate. She also gave to her husband with her. There it is. Old Adam, following along with her, and he ate. Many people have asked me what would have happened if he would have said, what you doing? People have asked me that. What, 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 can I just share this with you? This is what's interesting, is that the curse had not yet entered into the earth once Eve ate the apple. That's not when the curse happened. The curse happened only when Adam partook of the apple. That's when the curse, because the curse moves through seed. That's why when God sent his son and gave his son, the birth of his son to a woman, how could Jesus have come out sinless? Because the seed, right, was sinless. 
That's how Jesus came out sinless. So the seed gets transferred through Adam. The scripture doesn't say in Eve we all die. The scripture says in Adam we all die. Right? Very, the reason this is an important point is because at that moment, if Adam would have arisen to his husbandly headship that he had from the very beginning and stepped into that thing, yes, Eve would have partaken of it. But at that moment, I believe he could have brought covering to the situation and could have, and could have stopped the whole thing in its tracks. That's what I personally believe. Now, you may, you may say, well, what about, what about? I don't, it didn't happen, so I don't have to answer any more questions. That's just what I believe could have happened if it would have gone the other way. But he partook of it as well. And then the scripture says, as I mentioned in verse 7, their eyes were opened. They knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together, made themselves coverings. Their senses were empowered. All of a sudden, their senses had dominion. And so what happened at this moment is when rulership changed. Rulership changed Inasmuch as no longer were they governed by the, the, the inner man, no longer were they governed through the ease of hearing what God would say, through the innocency of listening to him give guidance and direction to their life. But now that switches and their senses, their senses are in dominion. And so what are the ramifications? Let's look at this. What happens? It says in verse seven that there's feelings of embarrassment. They've never been embarrassed at all up to this point. There had never been a moment of shame or embarrassment in their life until they let their senses have dominion. That was a ramification. Look at verse 10. It says um, that the Lord God called out and uh, asking, where are you? So Adam said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was what? Afraid. Fear. Why are you afraid? I was, I was naked. I mean, I just look at that and I say to myself, dude, you're talking to God. And yet, he says, I don't have anything to wear. He, there's a fear of God. A fear of spiritual things. In verse 12, it's interesting. Then the man said, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me. You know, blame shifting. So, Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the devil. The devil made me do it. And everybody's pointing fingers every rich direction. Rationalization. Blame shifting. It's not my fault. And all of a sudden... That's what happens when senses rule, you begin to see the ramification of what takes place in all of this. Now, the key to victorious Christian existence is somehow for you and I to begin to shift and to distinguish between when we're functioning out of our senses and when we're functioning out of the inner man. The scripture says we've been strengthened by power in might where in the inner man. In the inner man. Uh, the Bible says, Paul did, he says, my, my inner man delights. He says it delights in the law of God. Do you realize that when we're in our senses, when someone looks at you and says anything, we'll just take the Ten Commandments. I won't get into anything. We'll just, don't cheat, don't steal. And, and you're, you're wanting to cheat, you're wanting to steal, you're wanting to covet. You know, you're, you're wanting to do all the things that it says there. Your senses are wanting to do that. And you say, why can't I do that? I want what he's got, so I'm going to go get it. I want this, so I'm going to go do it. I don't want to be married to this person anymore, so I'm going to go be with that person. I want what I want. And, 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 I don't, and so we think God gives us rules in order to make it life hard for us. Where Paul said, I delight in my inner man. I delight in my inner man. 
You know why Jesus said my yoke is easy and my burden is light? He's in there. It is easy. I, I've tried, you know, and, I, and sometimes you've got to speak to the natural man. Because I understand that the Christian life can be challenging and difficult. Don't misunderstand. I know that the, that the way to destruction is broad and many find it. And the way to life is narrow and few there be that find it. I get it. I get discipleship is, is challenging at times. But I'm going to share this with you. And this is a secret that maybe only you know and the rest of the body hasn't caught up on. That yes, there will be difficult days living for Jesus, but you got to get, but if it's difficult, it's because you're looking at it through your natural man. That's why Peter could write to the saints that were scattered in dysphoria throughout Cappadocia. And, and he says that whole first chapter when he talks about how you'll be kept by the power of God. He talks about an inheritance that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. And that even as you walk through this life with trials and challenges and difficulties, he says you'll still have joy, unspeakable and full of glory. And I understand there are days it's hard and I have felt myself like I've wanted to throw in the towel at times. But whenever I'm at those moments, I, I have found at least the wherewithal to shake myself into remembrance that I'm feeling this way because I'm looking at things with my natural eyes. But if I can get back to that which is eternal, if I can get back to that place where he lives in me that is limitless, that brings me, listen, it is there I have peace. It is there I have hope. It is there I have joy. Those wonderful intangibles that we seem to lose and we lose it because we start looking at things around us. Let me tell you, these last few days I've been in some challenging situations and the minute you start looking around you instantly your senses are empowered and upheaval takes place and you even start saying things and you make decisions and then you wish you could go back and change it and it's those are the moments that we've got to find ourselves going back to that place saying this is where my peace is this is where my joy is and here's the good news even if the situation takes me out i get to go be with him forever Now, that's got to get back in us as Christians. We've, we've forgotten the eternal. I mean, I'll take responsibility for it. I guess I'm a preacher, so I'll just take responsibility too. We, we, need, we need to remind everybody about heaven every now and then. We need to remind everybody that this world is not our home. We need to remind everybody that I'm an alien and you're an alien. We're just sojourners in a hostile environment. And, and we're going to see God do miracles and good things, but there's coming a day. He's going to pluck us out of this. So I don't know how long, maybe like Paul, when he said, I've been in shipwrecks and I've, 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 I've slept in, and been in the ocean for three nights and I've been flogged on three different occasions. And he goes through all of these things that he's been through. And, and yet he can still with a surety say that despite all of these things that, that I, you know, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Amen. So I don't know what you're facing, but I'm just telling you, take your... For a moment tonight on a Wednesday night, take your eyes off of that. And one more time, just remember, I got peace. I've got joy. The reason is because the Prince of Peace lives in here. The King of Joy is in here. The one who gives me hope is in here. And it's 730 and I can't tell you how to do that because time has expired. Nah, we'll, we'll, 
We'll come back, all right? We'll come back and pick up on this because I want to be faithful with that. But I, I just believe that's where the Lord will have us stop then for tonight. It's for you to remember. I'll give you some hints, all right? And we'll, we'll get back to this. Let me give you some hints. You know why you pray? You pray in order to get your eyes closed off your circumstances so you can begin to be reminded that there's a God who's bigger than what's the matter. Right? That's why you pray. Why do I read the word? Because as I read this word, I am reminded that other people have faced similar things and sometimes greater things. And yet the end of the story tells me that God somehow, some way comes through. And the book of Hebrews in chapter 11 tells me that even if for whatever reason I don't see the fulfillment of every promise, I still inherit a, testi a testimony because I, I, I have been given a better place to go. So I just win. It doesn't matter. I win. How do I, how do, I do that? Well, it's sometimes just going back to some of the simple things. Now, I'm going to talk about there's, there's really more to that than just practicing some of these simple things that's in there. But we've, we've got to begin to understand now why we're called ourselves to, uh, to die to ourselves, to carry our cross, to be crucified with Christ. Because when I can get to that place that, that I, have, I have died to me, Galatians 2.20 says, For it is no longer I who live. But what? Who lives where? And the life I now live in the what? Flesh. Yeah, you, you're, I no longer live in the flesh, but I live right through faith in the Son of God. All right, now, now some of these things are starting to make sense, hopefully. All right, but that's why we call people to brokenness. Brokenness is not just to pound you and make you humble. Brokenness is to break you out of your senses so God can begin to live through you. That's victory. And it's paradoxical. One of these days, I'm going to get to preach to those pastors again. I'm going to talk to them about paradoxical living. Jesus said that the last will be what? And the first will be? He says, if you want to be at the front of the line, you go to the? Exactly. He who will be great among you must first be a? If you want to be exalted, you have to do what? Humble yourself. But if you exalt yourself, you'll be humbled. Do you understand the whole kingdom all paradoxical? Do you want to have life and that more abundantly? Then you see the truth of the matter is you and I are going to have to learn to die to ourselves. And when we do that, then what he does is he resurrects God life in us. Okay? And it'll all link to making decisions. Amen. <sighs> Got wound up in my introduction and we didn't get where we needed to go. Amen. Stand up, though. I'm going to pray for you.